Welcome to MuggleCaster Weekly Ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And this week, we've got a special episode. We are joined by friend of the show, Ivana Lynch, who, of course, played Luna Lovegood in the Harry Potter films. Ivana, welcome back to MuggleCast. Hello. Uh, hello, hello. Thanks for having me back. Yeah, it's great to have you on. You're here today because you just released a memoir, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting. Eric is modeling it now. <laughs> oh, I don't have a physical copy yet. I'm jealous. What a gorgeous cover. It I really know, is. It's pretty. Uh, oh, and Micah, thank oh, Micah's you. Got it too. Yeah. And yeah, so that's the focus of today's episode. We're going to talk about the book and we'll talk a little bit about Harry Potter too, because you do touch on that in the book as well. So Ivana, oh, and actually we should note Ivana is also wearing a sweater with Gryffindor colors. Thank you for coming prepared today with some (laughs) Gryffindor colors. You are a Gryffindor? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm so Gryffindor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (sighs) Okay, you said something about Ravenclaw before. So no, I, I just said I, I I wish I was Ravenclaw because blue suits me better, like color wise. This is I not see. a good look for me aesthetically. Oh, I, you I look think it great. Is. You look great. <laughs> Thank you. Meanwhile, the rest of us were wearing gray. <laughs> yeah, what colors. house is that? <laughs> <laughs> it's nothing. You it's, can I'm tell going... who's a newbie here when it's like I'm going to turn up in house colors. <laughs> <laughs> This is my I'm flying later today shirt, so I needed something uh-huh. comfortable for the flight. Yeah. Can you give listeners an overview of your new book, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting? Yeah, for sure. So yes, it is a memoir. It kind of didn't start out that way. I was like, I really just want to write about the battle between mental health and creativity. Um, I It wasn't like, I want to tell every detail of my life. But then it kind of, I just realized, oh, I don't want to write a self-help book because I find stories more powerful. I, I want to know like anecdotes, you know, like this, the books that really changed me were beautifully told stories, beautifully written stories. Um, so anyway, yeah, it turned into a memoir. And yeah, it's really about the struggle between your mental health and your creativity And I feel like I've been talking about this for years, like over a decade. I did start talking about my mental health in public. And while on some level that was kind of a relief to be like, this is who I am. I've got this past. I'm not going to be ashamed of it. It then kind of got garbled by the press. You know, it got turned into this sweet story of like, oh, wow, you had an eating disorder and then you got Harry Potter and what great time you've had, you know, like, and it it bothered me because it made it seem like you can kind of incentivize recovery, that you can just seduce somebody basically out of their their struggles and that wasn't the case at all and it also felt quite uh, disrespectful towards people going through their own issues so I wrote it to be like you know I wanted to show the complexity and nuance of the situation and I wanted to show that like eating disorders are not about what they look like you know that the for me my eating disorder was there years well not, not years but a, a while before it started to physically manifest before people were able to see it and it continued after physical recovery like I still had that very negative dark mindset so I wanted to just do a book that talked about these issues and the depth and to not get distracted by the the shocking physical symptoms which which too much too much of the time gets sensationalized and and seen as the defining aspect of these things which ironically only exacerbate eating disorders 
So that, sorry, that was a long old spiel. But yeah, that's the book. Oh, no, <laughs> I, I think you've done an amazing job of it. If I could say that, oh, I think, thanks. and it's, and it's, I think you're right about the power of stories to really convey. And to mm-hmm. that point, your your memoirs are very, very detailed. I know mm-hmm. that as part of recovery, you were encouraged to keep a journal and various people throughout mm-hmm. the years. Did you refer back to these then to help you? And how do you remember with such detail or what was that process like sort of rediscovering or writing about your past? Yeah. So it was like a jigsaw puzzle. There were things, and this is what I started with when writing, that were so clear in my head, like like they happened yesterday. You know, maybe the moments that were either like the most traumatic or they were just um, special to me, things that people said that really affected me or funny. So those things were like clear in my head. Sometimes sometimes I could remember like direct quotes from 20 years ago. Um, and then other things. So I kind of wrote those things first and then it was a matter of like filling in the gaps. And sometimes I'd have a conversation with my parents and find I had remembered it in all the wrong sequence. Um, I did, I obviously, I wrote a lot of letters when I was young. So letters helped. And then, so the this journal, my therapist had had asked me to keep a journal throughout our, while we were working together. And it, it was so weird how it came back to me. So this is like real world magical stuff. Like um, I knew I had this journal, I had written it and I was like, oh, it'd be, it'd be amazing if I could find that journal again. Um, but I actually was a bit too embarrassed to ask her about it because it was like, that journal, I'm just ashamed of who I was back then. I was such an unpleasant person. It's such a sick person. And so I didn't want to ask her. So then I was kind of like, I asked my psychic, I was like, can you have a mooch around and feel if that diary is gone and burned or if it's somewhere <laughs> out there? And um, she was, she came back and she was like, I don't feel it's, there's any funny business. I don't think anyone stole it. I think it's in Ireland somewhere. And like, Three days later, my therapist texts me, this keeps falling off the shelf. It was the diary. What? Yes. (laughs) Yeah, she was like, I don't know what to do with it. Do you want it? And I was like, yeah. Like, that's when I said to her, I'm writing a book. So perfect. And then she sent it to me. So that really helped. That was magic, Um, right? That's incredible. (laughs) Ivana, this was Natasha in the book? Natasha? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Awesome. Uh Awesome. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay, now I believe in psychics. Yeah. <laughs> but she wasn't very specific about it. You know, she was kind of, yeah. she was like, I, I don't know exactly where it is, but she was like, I think it's somewhere in Ireland. I don't think anyone's taken it. But then she was like, I'm sorry, I can't help further. But whatever she did, shifted some energy and drew the book back wow. to me. <laughs> that is amazing. It sounded like yeah. Peeves was lending a helping hand, knocking it off of the uh, <laughs> shelves <Yeah>. there. <laughs> Or a nicer ghost. (laughs) (laughs) Now, you were very open on social media about how much time and effort it was taking to write this book. Was this one of your more difficult projects, you would say? Oh, yeah, hands down. It was the least enjoyable because it's just you with your desk and you're kind of like for, you know, that's the nice thing of having written a book, the first one. Okay, now I've done it. I know that I can do it again. Great. But but the first one round, you're like, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if anyone will want to read it. I don't know if I'm good at writing or if I'm just delusional. So it was like pushing through those days and being like, you know, losing faith and then going, no, I've got something here. That 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 was just really hard. And um, yeah, and it, it did start to feel like a bit self-indulgent because it was just like, 
I mean, there were, you know, every now and then there's a big social media uprising over some sort of big worldly cause. And I was so busy and stressed and I was working to deadlines that people were like, are you going to care about, you know, like animal rights, indigenous rights, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, I'm just going to go and write about my 11-year-old self. It was very yeah. like, oh. this is embarrassing. Oh, how is this going to help people? But but ultimately, like I do believe in the personal helping the public. I think we have to reveal these sides of yourself. You have to go deep. And and that to me has always spoke to me the most when somebody really shares something uh, private and vulnerable. Um, and it's been weird, you know, just like seeing the reactions to the book online, the amount of people who are saying, I feel like you've written my story. And I'm like, what? Wow. My, my story is way too weird and obscure. Like, but but that, so it does help people. But at the, I found that very hard of like, and again, being a person with a platform, being in, in the public eye, there's always this sense of, are you going to speak on this? Are you going to say this? Are you going to do this? And for kind of like a year, I had to be very selfish and just go, no, this is what I'm doing. Who knows if it will work, if anyone will be bothered, but this is what I'm committing to. But that's kind of art, isn't it? That's creativity. You just have to yeah. believe in your small, mad idea. And I'm sure it feels great to now hear from people who are reading the book and telling you that it has been helping them. Do you think writing it, you're saying that it was challenging and very difficult, but was it also therapeutic in a way to get all this out on paper and get all these thoughts organized? Yeah, like the actual emotional side of when I say it was hard writing it, it's just the discipline of writing is hard. I didn't really find revisiting those things hard because I like these stories have been inside me for years. And it was I think I'd I'd have I'd have never been able to fully let them go and move on if I if I'd never sat down and done it, you know. Um, so it was just like, phew, thank goodness I'm getting it out there in my own words. So like it is it is exposing. It is a bit like a big part of me is like, this is so embarrassing. What am I doing? Putting out basically my journals out there to the world. But I'd rather it be out there in my own words because it is already rather than being misinterpreted, you know? So yeah. I was really relieved and I feel like I have been taught, like I don't really want to be a mental health eating disorder advocate. I want to be a storyteller. So like every interview pretty much that I've done, not you guys, but like anything else. If I do a, a mainstream interview, they always ask about the eating disorder. And I and I want to be like, that's the past, that's done. So this book is like me saying, here's everything I can say on the topic. That's my offering. And and so hopefully, you know, in future, I, I don't have to keep talking about it because it is a bit like to have to keep going so deep and so personal, doing all this inner excavation every time you do your work, which my work is a lot of promo and press. It's not fun, you know. I, I yeah. do want to go back to c communicating with the world through characters and, um, you know, stories, so that there's a a, a little bit of more privacy around around it. Yeah, around my life. Yeah. yeah. Well, if if that was the goal, I have to say, your book is so visceral. It doesn't pull any <laughs> punches. It doesn't like it absolutely like you. I think you achieve the really talking about your true like your inmost self, and it's funny how much of the book is funny while also being just completely soul crushing, heart wrenching. We feel for you, what you're going mm -hmm. through. And yet there's also this identity that we feel mm -hmm. of like things that we felt about ourselves. Right, right. And you're just, right. you're just able to, I think really clearly convey a negative state of mind, but you don't shy away from it. You don't, you know, mm -hmm. I, I think that's going to be very helpful for a lot of people. That's what I say in the start of the book, why we put that intro in there, because I suppose, you know, some people might be a bit shocked by how negative 
I can get, I think people thought, oh, you're, you're Luna Lovegood. You're above all that negativity. But no, I was like the most negative person. And I felt a lot of shame before of like, oh, I've come out as this person who's recovered. I'm, I'm not allowed to hate myself anymore. I'm supposed to be all good in that department. And yeah, felt a lot of shame for not being more healed, not being more mature or not having all this self-love thing figured out. But I just have found that like, nobody is perfect with their self-love, with their self-acceptance. It is a relationship that you have to work on. But you you can manage it better if if you talk about these mean things because, you know, it's that cliche when you shed, when you expose the darkness to light, like people can see it, they can understand it more and they can have awareness. And with awareness, we don't feel so alone and we feel like these, these very dark, big things in our head become smaller and then we can laugh at them and that's how I did know like with the book that I'm cool I'm 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 fully recovered from this because I I did find a lot of humor I did find a lot of the moments like funny and absurd and it was like not so serious anymore you know speaking about talking and telling others about what you're feeling inside I suppose although you don't want to be a huge mental health advocate all the time like you said but therapy you'd probably recommend it for everyone Oh my God, definitely. Yeah. I'm quite wary of people who don't, who are like, I'm against (laughs) therapy. (laughs) Oh yeah. 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 I mean, I mean, but people do have different forms of therapy. I understand people who like sport or if they've got Mm. a really close best friend who just, everything's good. But yeah, it's so, gosh, it just, it's, it's like, you don't, it doesn't change who you are, but it makes you just really conscious of your, your, weaknesses your triggers and so that when these things kick off like they'll always be there but you you learn how to sit you know kind of sit with it to breathe to not react and not do hurt and do damage towards other people or yourself so i just think therapy is the best but yeah it's hard yeah, to find we've all done it here right. too and oh yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely yeah. really speak I love to that. the power <laughs> of therapy yeah yep. did i ever tell you actually Mine used to fall asleep all the time, and I don't know if it's because <gasps> I'm. No. <laughs> well, Mike, it's your voice. You My voice. I was going to say. That's not an excuse. Fall asleep face to face? Yeah, the appointments were. They were fairly later in the evening. They were about eight o'clock or so. Past the bedtime of the therapist. Must have been past the bedtime. funny. What did you do? Did you just like kind of prod them awake? What did you do? Hey, hey. Yeah, just like, you know, snap my fingers. See if it oh, works. my God. Did you just like look around and go, I guess I should go? Or did you like tuck the therapist in with like a, a, a blanket from it the couch? It was a comfortable or... chair he was in. Maybe that had something to do with it. It's all about the chair. Big I think Mike I would be like, do I get a discount for this session? That's what I right. weren't yeah. present for part of it. Jeez. Gosh. Well. Ivana, you mentioned something interesting a few moments ago about speaking to readers who've communicated that they feel like they were reading their own story in this book. And I have to say that really resonates with me, um, you know, as someone who was a young girl around the same time that you were, and you really capture facing a lot of the insecurities and the unknowns of growing up in a society that encourages young girls in particular to put themselves in boxes. Mm -hmm. So reflecting on that, I'm wondering if you had the opportunity to speak to your younger self, what would you (laughs) say to her? Oh, I don't know, because I don't, she was very stubborn. I don't think she'd have taken advice. And she was very much like, 
younger me was just in in a lot of pain and and didn't because my mindset was so negative anything that people nice that people would say to her just I wouldn't believe it I would have been like well that person is obviously doesn't know what they're talking about you know I'd probably be like I will avenge you I'll probably just tell her that. I'd be like, don't worry, I'll get revenge one day and I'll sort things out. Because I think she felt a lot of just like, oh, the world is unfair, I can't do what I want. Um, And I feel like I have sort of avenged her, my Mm. younger self, especially with this book. Do you know, so I work with a shaman, probably have talked on about that before. And she does all this stuff of like talking to different parts of yourself. She puts you in meditation. And before I was doing the book, we were communicating with different parts of, yeah, older me who'd written the book, younger me who was in it. And she, younger me was very just like angry and just like her resentful. And then after finishing the book, we did another session and younger me was like, I feel taken care of. It was just such a lovely thing to come from mm. like, oh, wow, I've I've sort of dealt with that part of myself and I don't have this this wounded child anymore, which I think I did probably prior to the book. Right. So would you say that the book was an act of self-advocacy? Yeah, that's how I write, that I always imagine I'm speaking to a part of myself because that's how it will be the most personal and the most truthful. So I was writing it with her in mind and also kind of writing, I wanted to make things right with that part of myself with saying, here are the things that we're not okay and I don't wish them on anyone else and I hope that there'll be some sort of reform in future I hope people will be more compassionate towards people with eating disorders know how to help them better and here are the things that really worked and that I'm grateful for and that were that went really well with my journey so um yeah just exposing that so for for other people going through the same thing and to kind of say yeah to to my younger self this is what should have happened Speaking of younger you, um, and I'll apologize up front because I think this question has probably been asked many times, but (sighs) you do go into great detail about it in the book. What specifically drew you to Luna? Because I feel like there are moments in the book where you talk about literally like almost stepping into her skin, almost like there's Mm -hmm. a switch that flips and you become her, particularly when Mm -hmm. you're talking about when you go to Leavesden and, and how you almost just, you take on that persona of Luna. Yeah. So there's a line that my shaman teacher always says, and it's actually in the book. She says, if you spot it, you've got it. So like, it's always that whatever captivates you about someone else, or actually whatever triggers you, whatever makes you jealous or angry, there's something in you, you need to investigate. And I really feel like that was the case with Luna. When I came across that character, I think I was in such a mean dark state of mind but that wasn't who I truly was that was this thing had kind of overtaken my personality and when I came across her the you know her oddness her self-acceptance her her absolute curiosity about the world I really felt like it sparked like the recognition I was like "I I like those things too or I feel that way I feel odd and like I don't fit in but I'm I'm not giving myself permission to be that way. So it was like she was giving me hints of my of my my past and future self of who I wanted to be, and it was lighting something up inside me, something that ha- had been sort of extinguished. And then, like when playing the part again, it was that feeling that um, I just had to relax. Like I I think I was quite anxious. I was insecure as a teenager and I was so anxious being on the set, of course, because it felt like such a big deal. But um, 
But Luna's energy is just about just being. You don't have to try, you know, that whole human being, not a human doing. You don't have to impress anyone. If you just breathe and surrender, you're doing enough. You are who you are. And, and just this idea of like, acceptance of every moment of every person and not feeling yeah like you have to tie yourself in knots contort yourself to take up space because that's how I felt I felt I needed a reason to exist I need to justify why I'm here and why people are looking at me and talking to me and and she didn't have that so it, it, yeah I and I didn't feel confident enough to do that myself but but she gave me that confidence and I really really leaned on her I leaned on her too much and I um like on the set but also when I would be doing media events, when I would meet somebody new who I was kind of nervous around, she just gives me that calmness and still does. Yeah. Yeah. So you actually uh, found out about the Luna Lovegood open casting call through MuggleNet. Yeah. I think Did we've mentioned this from time to you know what? I was actually wondering that. And I, I actually peeked into the MuggleNet archives. I don't know. I was running uh -huh. news at the time, but there were a couple other people, too. So I don't know. I don't know. But it's such a fascinating story going from fan to cast member. And you really capture mm -hmm. that capture that transition in the book. So that was really interesting to read. Something I actually didn't know was that you had actually been in correspondence with J.K. Rowling um, in the years leading up yeah. to the audition. Yeah, and I think then, that's the, but people have been confused about that. People thought, oh, you must have known her through the films, but no, not at all. Yeah, you knew her Just outside by chance. of that. And, and then she had no involvement in no. casting you, no. which is equally incredible. Yeah. <laughs> that whole story blows my mind. Yeah, no, me too. It's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I don't even have a question here. I just want to know that. <laughs> we, you talk about r first writing a letter to Joe and including yeah. details that were far and above more, I guess, personal than you were telling even your family. Like you, you talk about oh, your yeah. mother being surprised by the level yeah. of detail that you go into to a perfect stranger and yet the woman who creates these this book series. Yeah. That's a wonderful escape. Looking back, do you know what really made you send that letter to Joe? That first one. I don't. People do though. They do that to me too. Like on online, they set, they pour out their hearts, and it's like you don't even know me. Like you know, it is mm. kind of a projection. But there's a safety in the, somebody who's far outside your situation, who who is not going to be biased. And um, so like you know, I knew from her books. Oh, there's something in her soul that I understand and that has soothed me. So that's why I wanted to write. But also, I didn't believe she'd ever write back, you know, uh, maybe a little bit. As a kid, you actually do. You kind of do check your letterbox. But I, I kind of also felt like, I don't know if I even believed if she was real. It was a bit like she she was Albus Dumbledore, you know, that <laughs> ooh, maybe she's real, maybe not. <laughs> um, so I just, yeah, and I and I suppose like, that, that's the thing with eating disorders they're very you become very deceptive and very sneaky and like you lie to everyone you don't it's like an addict you, you don't there's nobody in your life you're honest with and that is extremely isolating and lonely so I think I was just desperate for connection and desperate to talk to somebody who I felt wouldn't get angry at me and and who would understand and that was JK Rowling to me and um yeah anyway she wrote back so that's that <laughs> then, yeah it, it was interesting too because you wrote about the mental gymnastics that you sort of did when you were in the casting call about whether or not you should bring that up to yeah 
David Yates, David Heyman, because you didn't know how it would necessarily be received and if it could hurt your chances or help your chances in terms of getting the role, right? Absolutely, yeah. Well, because I just had, um, it's well, it's that mental health, that stigma against, and it was worse back then, you know, back in 2006, the stigma against people with mental health issues. It's sort of like you're um, deficient or there's, you know, there's something wrong with you. And uh, like, that, that's something I write a lot about in the memoir that's been hard to express. You Leaving behind your eating disorder, you have a lot of shame and grief and it's sort of like you don't really want to let it go. So I didn't want to talk to anyone about it. And I just I just really felt if they knew that I'm not this sweet, happy, carefree girl and that I actually have a really mean side, they won't go, they're not going to cast me. And I, I actually mm-hmm. felt for a long time that I'd really tricked them. I thought... Uh, that I was this mean person, so I thought, oh wow, I've 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 hoodwinked everyone into believing I'm right for this role, but I'm not, you know. But uh, like looking back, I think as as an actor, I think that you actually have more perspective on characters who are quite different from you, and obviously there are a lot of similarities, parallels too. But it's hard to have full perspective on yourself, and and seeing a, a character who was so positive and had so much light, while I would I was very dark in my mind I was able to understand it more objectively and kind of um like I wanted to be more like that so that helped Hmm. there was one other moment from the the casting story that I wanted to bring up and I identified with it I'm not sure exactly why but it was when you were talking about the book that David Yates signed for you and gave you after (laughs) the entire casting call was over and mm. he had written there, you know, what a great job you had done. But then you talked about how you took his comments and immediately started to analyze them so deeply. And I do this mm-hmm. all the time. And I feel like maybe oh. this is why yeah. I identified with it. You just took this amazingly positive experience <laughs> that you had and you put on this critical lens. And yeah. yeah. And you even talk about like, well, if I don't get this, I'm definitely burning that book. And I just, I laughed (laughs) out loud when I read that, but I just think a lot of people go through that, right? They have these amazing experiences and then they sit there afterwards and they're just hypercritical of everything that happened. Oh, it's so true. And you can ruin it just with your mind, just with your thoughts. That's why it's so important to train yourself to think positive. You can just suck all the joy out of life with these dark thoughts. But do you know what? I actually feel that that, that, that is most of filming Order of the Phoenix was that for me. And I, I'm i very lucky I had that, you know, you, you get the break in between the films, it's summer time break, went home. And I remember just feeling like, oh, I think this is in the book, actually, this sounds familiar, like I've told this story before, but just feeling like, oh, wow, I, I, I didn't really enjoy that because I was, I was always questioning, did I deserve to be there? Am I going to get fired? Are people going to find out that I'm actually not that good a person or that good an actor? And, and it was just kind of like, oh my God, you're living the dream, the actual dream. It's never going to happen again. So stop destroying it. And that's, people say that, don't they? Youth is wasted on the young. There were so many wonderful, joyful experiences that I didn't fully enjoy because I was questioning my place in it and I was just um, too much in my own head. And yeah, definitely did that with David Yates' book. (laughs) His sweet little gesture. (laughs) I just uh, couldn't handle it. No, I completely agree feeling that way. With movies six through eight, did you feel better? Were you still Mm. critical of yourself? No, I, I definitely made a big effort to be like, right, I'm here, I'm one of the cast, like to just 
own that a little bit more. I think actually that's when I probably had to step away from the fan community a bit because I, mm. I was doing too much of like, I'm just a fangirl, I'm just a fangirl, you know, and I think some some people, the fangirl thing can go too far. It can become giving away your power, your creativity. And it definitely did for me. It was like this sense of hierarchy that, oh, the actors are better than me. And, um, and like, you know, being obsessive, you'd be on forums and they're all just talking about Daniel Radcliffe's haircut and everything. And I was one of those people talking about his haircut. And like, that's idolatry. That's making him so much more important than me. Worry about your own hair, you know? And so <laughs> yeah. I, I had to just be like, I need to get away from that community because it's just making me feel small and making me feel not comfortable with these people who are supposed to be my equals and are, you know, we are all equal. Mm-hmm. I can see how that would definitely feed into the cycle of imposter syndrome, right? You're mm-hmm. like, I've known both sides of this franchise, right? I've been a fan. Mm-hmm. I still am a fan, but now I'm also in it. Yeah, exactly. Like that nerdiness we have, it can go a bit too far. I think it's really good for like studying literature and studying our work. But when we put it onto like, you know, to human people, to kids at that time, it, it, it it's just, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's wasting really uh, that nerdiness can be very powerful. I think it's a bit of a, bit of a waste. Um, yeah. Yeah. I love one point you made in the book about that actually, which was that you go onto these sets and these people are working day in and day out mm-hmm. to create the best thing they can and yet there's still these people online who are just attacking everything, mm-hmm. not considering the fact there actually are real humans on set who do care so much and really yeah. are trying to do their best. It's like yeah. there's a wide gap there between reality and, and all this criticism. Yeah, exactly. And I think as fans, we have to like appreciate that those movies take thousands of people and they're all individual mm-hmm. artists. So it it's going to be all these visions and it has to be managed very well by the director but um we're not going to like they're all they're humans they're not machines we're not going to agree with everything they do now where i do as a fan totally understand with the need for criticism is when the makers don't honor the source material the books you know like when they when they don't seem to care about it don't treat it with the same care and don't know all the detail that to me is a bit like okay no they deserve to be called out for that Mm -hmm. Try and do it. You know, it's hard getting up and being creative and taking risks. It's, I, I think we all should be, if we're all out there doing what we're meant to do, like using our talents, then we won't we won't be so critical and, and, and we'll have more compassion for people, for artists, I think. We have more with Ivana coming up. But first, this week's podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp, and they actually perfectly align with the discussion we're having. Taking care of your mental health is one of the most important things you can do for yourself, as we're talking about today. And if you think there's something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals, check out BetterHelp. They will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist who you can work with via voice, video, or text chat. BetterHelp lets you easily and quickly get started with therapy right from wherever you are right now. Within 48 hours, you can start speaking with a therapist and the service is available for clients around the world. Whether you're at home, at work, on the go, you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. This isn't a crisis line and it's not self-help. It is professional therapy done securely online. One of the things that's great about it is you'll get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your therapist. 
BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change therapists if needed. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MuggleCast, that's Better, H-E-L-P, and join the over 2 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. By going to this URL, you will get 10% off your first month. Again, get 10% off at B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com slash MuggleCast today. Well, I want to highlight um, some of your other projects, and I also want to use this as an opportunity to pull that thread in talking about activism and advocacy. Um, so let's talk about the chick peeps. And I'm wondering <laughs> if you can speak to how veganism changed your outlook. Oh, on life? Yeah. Oh, that's a really big one. Well, first, initially, it made me more angry and it made me uh, quite cynical about human nature. But then it did the opposite. It made me, the more I got into veganism of like, cool, we're going to try and be really compassionate to animals and do everything mindfully, you know, how you eat, how you buy clothes, what you spend your money on, all those things and and struggling, you know, finding that I still can't be perfect. You know, I have to buy cat food all the time. And and meanwhile, I'm making animals, I'm making videos against slaughterhouse farms, you know? So it's like, I think the deeper I got into that of tying myself in knots and realizing I am a good person and I'm trying my best, but it's still hard. It, It made me have much more compassion for everyone. And to, um, just also like over the years, I think it's too easy to to say the good guys and the bad guys and we're fighting. Like I used the language of violence before in my early days of of activism of like fighting for this and we're going to, you know, beat the competition, blah, blah, blah. And we want this business to crumble. And I don't like that type of language now. And I, I think it's it's just destruction. You know, you need creativity you need to create solutions because especially over the course of um like my exploits in activism i've met like farmers uh dairy farmers um or just people who people who hunt them i don't know about uh, if i can redeem them but <laughs> dairy farmers they're nice you know they're just people trying to feed their families they they're actually not evil and i i thought before they must have or slaughterhouse workers you know and even those people can be, you can look at them and be like, they are messed up, but something has done that that to them. So it sort of has made me be really believe in our, our uh, that we are innately good and to try and speak to the good in people. Yeah, like I do believe that most people would be vegan if it was just more accessible, if they were educated the right way. So uh, yeah, I, I always that do that. And, and as I say, when I find it now when people are like, take a side, stand up for this. I'm like, I don't want sides. I want the space in between. I think we're all very complex and full of light and shade and have capacity for evil and good. Um, so yeah, that it's made me be more, I want to slow down and, and just have conversations, be more neutral, I suppose. Amen. I well love said. that. I love the idea that, you know, learning that compassion can fuel someone's ability to potentially become an activist one day. The idea that funneling compassion into others may have been what allowed you to feel more compassion for yourself. Would you say that? Yeah, that's a nice way Mm. of putting it. Yeah, definitely. But also like what you said there about compassion can lead, compassion can lead people to do, to kill animals because they're just, 
they're trying to do something to help other people, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's very complicated. That's what I've realized about it. But that's probably a very weird way of putting it. It's the classic quote. The world is not divided into good people and death eaters. Isn't it that? You that's know, exactly that. what I was thinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Such wisdom in that. I love it. Sort of wrapping up about your book, what would be the one takeaway that you would want readers to get out of the book? Oh, I hope it has like a long term effect of in like waking them up to their creativity, giving them courage. Like I kind of wanted it to be a book that gives people a shake, makes them see what it will what it will cost if they keep entertaining the voices of self-hate, how that will wear them down. But how choosing to believe like positive thoughts, choosing to do loving things towards yourself, that will build you up. And you can make either choice, but just know what what, what both are going to do to you. And, and I hope it, yeah, it gives people courage to kind of um, shake themselves out of their self-destructive behavior and and to keep choosing creativity and to prioritize it. And just to like facilitate conversations between a lot of like mothers have been messaging me asking, is it suitable for young people or or friends? And yeah, I hope it will create greater understanding about mental health and eating disorders, especially for young people, because they can often be dismissed. So yeah, just hearing people say, oh, it made me have a chat with my sister. That's the best I could hope for, really. My girlfriend had a question. Uh, she's about halfway through the book and really, really loves it so far. Aww, um, and she had a question about the title, uh, which is, I think of butterfly hunting as the human desire to capture beauty and perfection and to display it to the world, but it's at the cost of the butterfly's life. The opposite of butterfly hunting then would be to let beauty exist as is naturally and without force. Am I way off base? And nope, what does the title mean it. to you? Okay, you, awesome. You basically <laughs> explained it in my words. Well, it's about letting, yeah, letting beauty or whatever that is free, letting it evolve and change that you'll see it a moment and then it goes away, you know, that, but, and it's a metaphor for like how we treat our bodies that we shouldn't, this idea of trying to, for women or well for everyone really but trying to especially i think it is more for women that we have this obsession with keeping them looking youthful and young and girlish and um that they shouldn't change with life and it, I, I, you know i'm like cool you know physical perfection is nice but it costs you your life it does cost you your creativity and all your time and energy and it's just like life's too short like you're not a cartoon you're not a sculpture you're a human body and that should change so let it you know yeah let the butterfly free and stop trying to possess perfection and stick it down with a pin in its chest you know <laughs> but yeah she nailed it i love Great. that i'll tell her Phew, she's probably like the only person everyone's been like what the hell is this title about like, oh, sorry. You don't well, find out until the very end of the book but she's got I'm, it i'm glad that you explained it so just to wrap up We've seen you having a lot of fun at bookstores, signing copies of your book. Do you have any advice for aspiring writers? And do you think you'll be writing another book at some point in the near future? Nice. Let me see. Advice for aspiring writers. I definitely learned a few things from writing this book, as in, first of all, just stop trying to write like your favorite writer. I did that for ages. But I think after a certain point, like I think that would take ages. And I think after a certain point, you have to just accept who you are will come out on the page. So it's it's better to just work on yourself. And like, you kind of get to a point, you're like, okay, this is me. 
maybe I'd be clever if I'd read those 50 books on my bookshelf or if I had a degree. But like, if you keep doing that, you'll never write anything. So just kind of accept where you are, who you are, and accept that who you are will come out on the page. And and that's the shocking thing. Every day you show up and I would do like at least, well, at least two hours every day. And I'd be like, oh, I don't think I have anything to say. There's nothing in me, but something always came out. So just trust that you have it in you. That was puff snorting. That wasn't me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then what else would I say? Um, make writing time sacred. So I have like an app on my phone called Forest and it like grows little trees so that you don't check your phone. And if you oh check your phone, the trees die. It's great. <gasps> or a sand timer. I've got a sand timer. And like us mystical people, this is, this. these things matter. Like I would turn this over and it, I'm not even going to turn it now because it's so sacred. So yeah. when that's over, it's like writing time and nobody can disturb it. Um, and I would also say, don't be precious on the first write, writing because um, the edit is a nightmare as in it's so thorough somebody is going through every word every line asking you about this did you know this actually means this oh you spelled this wrong like it's very in-depth so and and when I saw how, how thorough the edit process was I was like why did I spend half an hour trying to figure out how to say one line you know so <laughs> I think in the edit you will end up rewriting your book so don't be precious just get it down on the page so those are my tips yeah. And yes, I do want to write more. Yes. Yes. But I'm sure you fiction. need a Oh, fiction. Okay, yeah. cool. But yeah. I'm sure you're taking a well-earned break for a little while, I would imagine. Yeah, I am taking yeah. a break, get this cool. book out there and launched. Um, but yeah, then I just I don't I don't think I ever want to write nonfiction again. It's it's a bit hard on your relationships. Like my family, <laughs> you know, my mom was like, it's fine for you. You're off in London. You don't have to deal with the neighbors, but um, oh. they do. And like my sisters are, are school teachers and I've got like an anecdote of one of my sisters with her first bra in there. And she, she let me keep it in, but she was like, my students are 12, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so... um yeah, I don't think I could do that again. It's just a bit, yeah, yeah it's a bit hard. <laughs> when you get, this is a kind of an aside, but when you go into bookstores, do you first like tell people, hey, this is my book. I'm not defacing it. I promise you <laughs> when you're signing the books in the bookstore. No, you just walk in. Like, so I went really? with a publicist and she was like, cool, you just go ahead and sign those. And I, <laughs> I felt really self-conscious that people would yeah. be like, who is this one who's just scribbling all over? And then they just right. put the stickers on them. That's that. Wow. I don't no, know. I mean, you could conceivably sign other people's books. Right. And just right. be like, I'm this person. <laughs> I'm <laughs> Tolkien. Weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Whose book would you sign if, if you had the choice? Oh, my gosh. I might do a Harry Potter one for fun. I'll do your book. Is that okay? <laughs> yeah. Please do. Kidding, kidding, kidding. So we wanted to ask about The Secrets of Dumbledore. This is the new Fantastic Beast movie that's coming out. Do you have any theories about this title, Secrets of Dumbledore? It's quite intriguing, isn't it? It is intriguing. I have no theories. I'm not engaged <laughs> with this at all, really. I'm yeah. the kind of person like, I, yeah, cool. I'll sit and wait for the secrets. Don't need to. But. I mean, we already know he's loads of secrets, don't we? Isn't it all about Ariana? Yeah. I mean, it, we were guessing it has something to do with Ariana or um, his relationship with Grindelwald, something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we did oh, get a lot. Oh, do you of... think they're going to give more detail on the the romance aspect? Maybe. 
I, I heard from somebody who went to a test screening that it's quite gay. Quite gay? Yeah. Oh, Warner Brothers has been taking notes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, great. So, yeah, I know. It's, uh, yeah, it's very exciting. Um, you've described it actually in an email to us recently. You described yourself as a Dumbledore fangirl. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you touch on that a little bit in the book. Is, is he your favorite character? After Luna. Yeah. After Luna, of course. Yeah. Yeah. That's oh, fair. Yeah, I love him. What do you love most about him? Well, he reminds me of that philosopher Eckhart Tolle. Do you know him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He reminds me of him because he's like, he's so wise. He just seems to have the answers to life. And yet he's whimsical. He like Eckhart Tolle is always cracking little jokes and he, he loves just like enjoying moments in the in the present and i think dumbledore has that present m- moment mindedness i like that he's this brilliant sage but you feel you can have a chat with him you don't feel like intimidated by him or that he's so um otherworldly or anything yeah and yeah. i like his fashion sense <laughs> i like his kindness i like that he is complicated which Harry Potter character do you think would be the first to write a memoir besides Harry Potter himself? Well, it's Lockhart, isn't it? He already wrote oh, five. Oh, okay, that's a good answer. <laughs> but he would write somebody else's memoir. Oh, that's true. <laughs> he would be in the bookstore signing somebody else's books. Oh, oh I'd, I'd love to read his books, though, because it's kind of fantasy, isn't it? It's not really yeah. real. Yeah, <laughs> real costs, though. Yeah. yeah, yeah, true. And like uh, narrators who are very self-important are insufferable, so maybe not. Who would be, um, hmm, maybe I can see Umbridge having one. Oh, um, boy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stormy. What would it, what would it be called? Controversial. Hem, hem. Oh. <laughs> no, she's not that self-aware. <laughs> no. It'd be a long, long title. I don't know. It'd probably be a self-help book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what about Neville, though? What about Neville when like, he's oh. an old man Ooh. and he's like, you know, the one of the the group that was kind of overlooked and people were always like curious about him. Is he just, you know, is he is he quiet and does he just not have a lot going on there? And then he reveals all his... What uh, it was like being the other chosen one. Yeah. There you go. You, you've gotten his memoir title already. Oh, man. <laughs> the the almost tr- chosen one. <laughs> I like that. Yeah. Can we have Who parentheses write- around the almost? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who do you think would write a memoir? I was wondering about Dumbledore, actually, but I think, like, when would he have done that? Or, you mm-hmm. know, had a bit of an untimely death. I could see Slughorn doing that. <laughs> Oh my god, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely. Oh, his fame, his right. love for fame. And bragging about all the people he collects. Yep, yep. It would just oh, be right. a series of an- anecdotes about other famous people. Yeah, name drops. <laughs> just yeah, there'd right. be a lot of shiny photos in that book, wouldn't there? Mm-hmm. <laughs> in the middle. Yeah, on the table, like a picture book yeah. of all the, him with other people. Reflecting on that one word, Horcrux, that he told Tom about. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you wish would write a memoir of the Harry Potter characters? Probably, uh, probably one of the ghosts. To be honest, like oh. nearly, headless, like nearly headless Nick uh, as a <laughs> memoir. Like he struggles obviously with being dead. He kind of regrets becoming a ghost. He'd be fascinating. This is a throwback to your appearance on Chick Peeps. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're so into him. <laughs> yeah, well, Nick, uh, yeah, for sure would just. Uh, but you know, like 
centuries of Gryffindor Tower. That's kind of cool. Yeah. Like Gryffindors yeah. through yeah. the centuries, anecdotes and self internal struggles. That'd be great. That'd be great. Or maybe like somebody at the ministry who went through this wizarding war. I'd be curious to know what the thinking was going on there. But of course, if like Fudge was writing it, he'd be making stuff up to make himself look better. But uh, yeah. I would like to see McGonagall write a memoir. I think that would be fascinating. I mean, we know that she was. Heartbreaking. Yeah. Mm. And we know that Mm. she was at Hogwarts with um, Professor Sprout. Right. They were schoolmates. So it would be interesting to get some of those anecdotes as well. I would like to have seen Sirius lived to long enough to write a memoir. (laughs) That would have been great. No, he's too cool. He would have like just had one written about him, wouldn't he? Oh, that's true. He just (laughs) has too much glamour about him. He's got so much glamour that he wouldn't reveal his inner life. That's part of it. That like he's so elusive and enigmatic. Yeah, the ability to be vulnerable and face it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Mm. All right. Mm. Fun That's answers. A fun so, Avana, your book is the opposite of butterfly hunting, available uh-huh. in bookstores. I want to say everywhere, but since we have a worldwide audience, I know it's available now in the UK and US. And Ireland. Yeah. And Ireland. Okay. Yeah. It will be available everywhere at some point. Yeah. Uh, but of course, check it out. If it's not available where you live now, pre order it. Ask, yeah. When the no, heck is it coming? Ask, ask the publishers in those countries. Can we have a translation, and then maybe they'll do that. There we go. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So there, I, there were a few territories that did buy the rights, but because it had to go through a lot of legal edits because they're real people, so we couldn't yeah. give the manuscript. The manuscript is only really being distributed now. So I hope it will be translated, but don't know yet. Yeah. All right. Well, check it out, everybody. Ivana, and congratulations. Oh yeah. Narrated yep. by you. Yep. What was that experience like doing an audiobook? Not fun. No. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's not. Like I thought it would be. I thought, great, I'm an actor. I can act this out. But it's just you in a little box and there's somebody on the other side. And this guy was like in his 60s. He was not the target audience for the book. And like he just... I just got, and maybe it was me. I might have been projecting, but I was like, he does not like me. And now he's having to listen to five days of me just talking about my life. So it was, it was hard. If you can <laughs> do that experience, time. you can do anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. The book is amazing. Thank Ivana. you. It's, it's Thanks now, for having me on. You know, speaking personally, it's now my favorite thing that you've done. Oh, whoa. And it, it it usurped the season of Dancing with the Stars, which was <laughs> freaking amazing. And yeah. it was so evident how hard you worked. Mike and I were watching every damn week. I don't know if you were. That was no. so fun. That ending, it. though. Thank you. You sh- yeah, you guys should have gotten it. Yeah. Thank you. I agree. But but we're, yeah, this is this is well, amazing. I had fun. I'm just happy yeah. I made it to the end. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. The book you is guys beautifully are written. You're great. Oh, oh. no, this seriously. is about you. No, well. stop. <laughs> no, this has been so nice. I've been doing a lot of podcasts, and it's just like, oh, I'm tired. But this is just like this is, feels like a a homecoming of a podcast. It always does. Yeah, well, because you know you. that you're my first podcast I listened to, and you guys are. I know still that means everything to us. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that that means a lot. That means a lot. We love you, and we're so proud of you and this book. It's beautifully written. Uh-huh. So everybody, again, check it out. The opposite of butterfly hunting. We'll have a link in the show notes, of course, so everybody can grab it. Maybe just we should quickly plug. Uh, we also appeared on your podcast, which is on Woo-hoo. hiatus right now, the Chick Peeps. So check that out. I think that's the second to most recent episode. Yeah, in your yep. feed. It was um, super fun. 
yeah. And of course, we'll link to Ivana's social. Are you on social media right now? I'm on you leave? Instagram. Yeah. Okay. We'll link to Ivana's Instagram as well so everybody can follow her. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks again, Ivana. Thank you, guys. Thanks Thank for having you. me. Thanks. All right. Well, gang, that was a great interview with Ivana, wasn't it? That was she so is, good. Uh, awesome. She's the best. Such she's a deep just thinker. a gem of a human being. Yeah. yeah. I am... Uh, I'm I'm thrilled with how that interview went. Please, everybody, support her. Check out her book. It's it's really great. If you have any feedback about today's interview, you can contact us by writing to mugglecast at gmail.com, or you can send us a voice memo. If you do that, just record a little voice memo on your phone. Send that to mugglecast at gmail.com. You can also use the contact form on mugglecast.com, or you can leave a voicemail on our phone. The number is one nine two zero three muggle That's one nine two zero three six eight four four five three. It's time for Quizitch. Last week's question was, what sweet treat does Professor Flitwick give to Harry after his interview is published in The Quibbler? The correct answer is a box of squeaking sugar mice. Mm. Correct answers were submitted by the Jonas Brothers, Spooky Cookie, Stephen Stevens, Hufflepuff Plant Lady, He Who Must Not Be Bort, A Lost Packet of Dribble's Best Blowing Gum and Long Live No Character Limits on This Section, Runalb, Waslib, and the Cactus. Next week's question. What is the name of Aragog's wife? Ooh. Ooh. Submit your... This is actually in the books. It's not a Pottermore thing. Hmm. Submit your answer to us over on the MuggleCast website. Click on Quizich from the top main menu or go to MuggleCast.com slash Quizich. It's not Hagrid, right? It's oh yeah, no. Oh. That's more his daddy. Oh, his daddy. <laughs> oh, I don't. <laughs> like human daddy, spider daddy. Adopted All right, let's daddy? keep moving. Here. Yeah. Anyway, make sure you are following the show for free in your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. And if they have a review section, please do leave us a review as well. We really appreciate that, and we love reading the reviews that come in. So thank you, everybody who takes a moment to do that. And finally, do follow us on social media. We are MuggleCast on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And of course, check out uh, our show notes today for a link to Ivana's book, The Opposite of Butterfly Hunting, as well as a link to her Instagram and Chick Peeps podcast. All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Maura. Bye. Bye. Bye.